Today's guest on the show is Raju Daswani, the CEO of Fast Markets. Fast Markets is a commodities price reporting agency which until recently was part of the publicly listed group Euromoney and was then taken private by private equity firm Astorg. Excited to have Raju with us on the show today. Delighted to have with me today, Raju Daswani, CEO of Fast Markets. Raju, do you want to um, kick us off by just giving a brief intro to yourselves and uh, your role at the company? Great. Thanks, Hitan, and thanks for having me on the podcast today. So a little bit about me. As you say, I'm the CEO at Fast Markets, and in fact, it's a position I've held for just over 17 years. In fact, uh, you know, I began my journey with the company actually 28 years ago when I came in and started my role as an economist and uh, steadily advanced through various different roles and moved into a commercial role. But in 2006 is when I actually assumed and took over leadership of the business. And that was actually coinciding with the point that the business had been acquired. Uh, The business at that time was called Metal Bulletin, and we were acquired by Euromoney Institutional Investor PLC, a business which actually has just gone through a P2P transformation too. But that transformation really, uh, that transition, I should say, really was a pivotal moment in my career and aligning with the whole evolution of the business into the entity it is today under the name Fast Markets. Awesome. And for the listeners' benefit, uh, P2P is public to private, change in, in ownership. And Raju, just tell us in, in your own words what Fast Markets does today and the role it plays. Absolutely. So now Fast Markets is a commodity information service. And what we do fundamentally is provide prices of commodities that are used in the industries and the markets that we serve to underpin and drive transactions in those markets. So typically, a buyer and a seller will enter into a contract, will use our price to inform those decisions. So it may be Amazon that uses our price to inform a decision around its purchasing of its cardboard for its boxes. It could be uh, Mercedes that will use our prices on battery raw materials to inform its prices and its purchasing of electric vehicle batteries. Amazing. Amazing. Thanks for sharing. And a lot of these companies and businesses like your own have a heritage in publishing or specialist publishing. Talk to me about how those prices used to be Derived how they were communicated back when you were younger, 17 years ago, and how that's now changed now, and how do you guys deliver that information into to the ecosystem today? I mean, I think there's been a significant amount of change over the business, and, and I'd love to spend a few minutes because I think it's quite important just for you to understand it, because this is a business that was founded more than 100 years ago and was founded as a magazine, a print publication that provided news, as well as some pricing information right from the first day, back in 1913 when this business was founded, Metal's business, which is the Metal Bulletin business that I joined. Of course, actually, our history dates back further, but that's more driven by acquisitions we've made with even longer histories. But for the business I joined, it was really much uh, seeing that shift from being a print business to to becoming a digital business. And that happened over the last two to three decades, really since the turn of the millennium. 
and the market dynamics under which our business operates really under, underwent a profound evolution. And initially, that magazine, which primarily served the metal trade industry with news, gossip, and market insights, um, and I relied really heavily on old school metrics, old school metrics for publishing, advertising, and circulation. And print advertising at the time was a major part of our business. It actually constituted a significant portion of our revenue and was the lifeblood of any old traditional print publishing model. However, there were two transformative, transformative uh, forces really, and one was the internet and the second one was China that reshaped our trajectory in really astonishing ways. And, I, and uh, let me just kind of talk a little bit more about that. Firstly, the advent of the internet and it altered the mass market for news and it challenged traditional print models. And while this led to a reduction in volumes for a magazine like ours, it also allowed us to identify far more sophisticated users who sought deeper insights into the data. And the decline in print advertising we saw, this was back at the, the end of the 90s, early 2000s, and it was offset by our ability to sell a web-based service allowing us to gate our content more effectively and sell subscriptions at a premium. And then the second transformative event was the explosive growth of the Chinese economy. And that happened, of course, through the 90s and into the 2000s. And it uh, drove mass commodity. It, it was driven really by mass commodity intensive urbanization and infrastructure investment. And that led to an unprecedented super cycle for our markets and commodities, uh, but also you know, introduced much more volatility to these markets. And as a result, that kind of shifted the traditional long-term uh, price-fixed contracts that existed before then into index-linked contracts. And using these indices derived from our pricing data significantly enhanced the value that we provided to the markets. And that really adopted and changed our the evolution of our business in terms of how we delivered that data. And we saw that shift again from print into web-based subscriptions into being a data and digital platform. We've done that through various te technological investments, both in the product, but also in the back end, which helps us to help uh, assess and create these indices in a far more coherent, joint-up way for a global business. Meanwhile, at the front end with our product end, it's been all about how we distribute that data, whether it's through APIs, through platforms, through Excel add-ins. So you can see a complete shift from a business that was a print magazine to being a data-first business. Yeah, thank you for sharing. And I guess when I hear you describe that journey, I guess it feels like at the core of it, there's always been this expertise around metals and commodities. It sounded like 100 years ago, people were fishing around for info and gossip to kind of guide pricing. And sounds like you've really just sharpened the point now so that it is much more around data and intelligence that informs pricing, decision-making around that pricing. And the, the delivery models evolved over the century to, to reflect how, how people uh, consume that. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, I think the key thing was before the internet, the magazine was the single source of truth for what was happening in the marketplace. So people came to us for things more than just pricing. So it was about selling information on company results, selling information on people who moved or changed jobs, gossip in the industry. But of course, a lot of this was disintermediated by the internet. And as a result, we had to evolve. It was a case of change or you know, survive or, or not survive. And I think we looked at where the value proposition was in our product. 
and adapted our business model to, to really focus on the value proposition. And actually that was happening at a time when the value proposition of the data was actually growing as well because of what was happening in China and what was happening with global trade flows of commodities. So I think actually both things came together and actually further drove the success of this business over the next uh, two decades. And especially in the last decade, we really doubled down on that transformation into being a data first business. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a great, great journey. Thank you for framing it, framing it so well. One of the reasons I was so keen to get you on the, the Innovators Exchange is just the last two or three years in particular has seen a massive spike in interest in all things commodities as well as all things data. You sit at that intersection despite, you know, and you've been around, as you say, for decades. In your words, what has driven this new, most recent wave of interest? Why do you feel like you guys are much more in the spotlight, linking it back, I guess, to the energy transition, some of the broader themes that are going on there? Just in your own words, what's what's driven this most recent mass market interest in what used to be quite a niche and specialist uh, area that you guys operate in? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think I, you know, I just said a few moments ago, you know, what we do is we are at the heart of our business, a price reporting agency. We provide prices and indexes around commodities. We do more than that. We also provide the forecast, the analytics, uh, the, ins the events that also help to bring this industry together, to connect buyers and sellers and to inform buyers with the data they need to understand the direction of these markets. And we provide transparency in markets that are otherwise very opaque. And, as I, and, and the amount of data we provide is huge. It's 6,000 different prices uh, across a team that's globally dispersed with 600 people. And as I mentioned the example earlier, companies like Tesla, when they buy their batteries, which are going to be essential in this shift, this energy transition shift we're seeing, information that we can provide that creates transparency around critical materials to drive energy transition is going to be key. And energy transition is having a huge impact on our business, having a huge impact on our world. But we are very much positioning ourselves centrally to be able to both take advantage of these trends, but also to increase transparency in these critical markets that will help drive investment into the energy transition space that is gonna be so important to address the challenges that come with climate change. And if you look ahead, over the next three years, five years, or 10 years, you know, we see key changes that are going to be driven by the urgency of climate transition and the growth, uh, the growth and the role of the data we provide. There is, for example, heightened interest in commodities that are crucial to the energy transition. And our role is pivotal in offering transparency in those markets. And it's not just about electric vehicles. It's about all the materials that will go into building the infrastructure to build the energy trans uh, transmission lines to build the solar farms, the hydroelectric plants, to build the wind farms. All of this is going to be metal intensive. And so for us, this requirement is uh, something that we are positioning ourselves very centrally on, centrally within, and we are allowing ourselves to collaborate with many players within the industry to ensure we are serving them with the market with what they need in order to support this transition. And I'm sure our listeners would love to hear just one or two specific kind of use cases. What, what, are, the, what are the commodities examples that used to not get much airtime, but are now suddenly all the rage? I know, is it cobalt? Is it lithium? Like, what, what are some of those out there that you're seeing suddenly that step change in? And just, just spell out for listeners, I guess, kind of 
that end-to-end journey around kind of from whether it's from producer, consumer, trader. I, th- I think there's some interesting stories to be told in what you guys are enabling here, right? In the real, the real economy. Yeah, and I think that's that's again, and I'd love to talk about that because that's so important to us and so important within the space right now. And if you take the two examples you just said, but I can give you others too. If you take key commodities like lithium and cobalt, they are so important for anyone involved in manufacturing a battery-powered vehicle that you need to be certain that you can access the raw materials you need in order to meet the targets that you've been set or that you set yourself uh, within, these, uh, within the broader ESG landscape. And this data is important because it creates transparency in terms of the market fundamentals, where demand, where that interact, that price really is the interaction between supply and demand. And effectively, that price allows investment decisions to be made in these markets to ensure that supply reaches those customers, enabling them to hit these targets. So lithium and cobalt is a great example, but it isn't just limited there. We also, for example, price commodities such as used cooking oil, which is a key commodity that goes into the manufacture of renewable fuels, such as renewable diesel. Again, it's going to be a very key um, element of the overall energy transition mix within the transportation field, because batteries aren't going to be suitable for all forms of transport. Long distance trucking, for example, is a case, shipping, where um, airline travel, all of which may need alternate, low carbon, renewable type fuel products rather than batteries. And I think we're also playing a part there. I'm going to pivot slightly. And one of the things I enjoy getting guests to do is just talk a little bit more about their personal journey and and, and share some of the, the development journeys they've, they've they've been through. So Talk to me about some of the challenges that you've faced over those couple of decades being being active in the space, particularly when it was kind of less sexy and mainstream, perhaps a couple of decades ago when uh, a bit more niche. Talk, talk to us a little bit about some of that, that that you've been through. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, in, in, in my role, and I'm thinking perhaps more in my most recent role as CEO, every day brings its shares of challenges, really. So I think it's part of our responsibility to not just overcome them, but transform them, as I said, into opportunities for growth. And you know, over my span of 17 years at the helm at Fast Markets, it's uh, never felt like I've managed a static entity, uh, but rather seen a number of uh, evolutions or reinventions of our business. I mean, mm-hmm. undergone these transformative shifts, as I've said, from digital into uh, from, sorry, from print into digital and subsequently into a data centric model. You know, we've looked at also the change in how we manage businesses. And I want to talk a bit about leadership as well. And leadership is a fundamental part of what we do. And we are managing very different, a very different workforce today than we did, say, 17 years ago. And we need to also be adept to making sure our company, our culture, and our values align well with the workforce of today. And that's changed tremendously. And whether it's embracing diversity and inclusion, and making that a fundamental value for organization is all important elements to me. I also think part of the challenges I've personally faced is that you adapt continuously as your business evolves and changes. And I've gone from running a business that, as I said, when I took this business over, were represented about 130 employees. Today, we are over 600 employees. So the way you manage has to be different. The way you manage your direct teams, your indirect teams, and you need to continually rethink your approach to management and leadership as well through that process. Has there been any of those 
transitions or transformations you described? Has there been any point at which you stood ahead of it and thought, wow, this one's not going to work or it's going to break or this is too radical a change? Have you ever felt that fear or nervousness? There's always an ease with that. I find we can talk retrospectively how some of those step changes play out, but just share with me at the point in time, was it always clear when you were going through some of those big changes from publishing to onto the web or was it was it always kind of yeah, good clarity and comfort or how does it feel at that point when you stood at the precipice of something that's about to be a, a material and major change i mean you know if you could get complete clarity on every decision you take i think you probably could run the business with ai or with anyone right so i think first of all you never you always have to base good decisions around as much information as you can possibly get but you will never have all the information. So I think there always is an element of risk. And I guess that risk is what, uh, as a CEO, you're paid to take calculated risks, well-informed risks and well-informed decisions. And there've been a number of transformations that we have undertaken and each one presents risk. And each, each one, as I said, is a challenge, but a great opportunity if you get it right. So yes, of course, there's been many times when we have entered into new strategic directions and even moving from being publishing into being a data business brought its own challenges because that shift necessitated a complete reinvention of our commercial operating model. It necessitated a complete mindset change in the employees within our team because actually sometimes the biggest hurdles you have to overcome is internal resistance And you first have to take your entire team on that journey along before you can even get to the outside world. So there has been, and almost every time we make a big tactical or strategic shift, we have to go through that journey. Whether it's the new brand we created for this business back in 2018, whether it was a shift into data and de-emphasizing our roots as a journalistic organization, all of these things represented challenges, came with risk, and therefore created... um, Yes, some level of nervousness, I guess. But like I said, it was always calculated, well-informed risks. But the goal was always very clear. Yeah, yeah. I guess when you're hearing you talk, it's kind of brings home that you need to, yeah, I don't say speculate to accumulate, but you know, you need to take those well-informed risks to manage through those 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 transitions and to be able to 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 capture some of that upside. I always I also think, I mean, you know, when you're looking at entrepreneurship. You also have to accept that some, you're not always going to get it right. And I've also learned one of my great learnings is that uh, you know, failure isn't a roadblock. It's, it's an important part of that journey we all take. But like I said, it's about making informed decisions with sometimes incomplete information. And that's the key. Yeah. Yeah. And talk to me about this, this most recent transition, right? I guess you've gone from public ownership into private ownership and then carved out and Many of the audience are active in both the, the private investing community as well as the public investing community. And one of the things I was keen to hear from CEOs and founders is that balance. What, how different really is life between those two regimes how, and, and how much is similar? Talk to us a little bit about how your, what's changed, what's remained the same over the last 12, 18 months as you've gone through that transition. I mean, look, the goals and the strategy for the business remains unchanged. We have a great strategy. We had one under public ownership, we have one under private ownership. In fact, it was a strategy that raised the profile of this business you know, into being a high growth business in a very, very uh, important area around data and embedded data with our customers, which made us a very attractive business for a new owner. 
at some point, the business of fast markets outgrew the ownership of the parent company we were a part of. What was key is that what we've inherited is a shareholder in, in our private equity partner that is supportive. And that, for me, is a game changer because you know, unlike the often short-term focus of public markets, I think a private owner gives us that stability and a much longer-term vision. And I think this support becomes really crucial, especially when we are navigating challenges or executing on long-term strategies. But also it means that the decisions we take as a standalone private business are the right decisions for fast markets and are not decisions you know, predicated by the lowest common denominator within a public entity with many, many different divisions. I also think it means that people are fully incentivized on fast markets, not a wider parent corporation. And that also drives the right behavior in the teams uh, in, in order to deliver the growth and the goals of this business. And I think the most important thing, as I said, is about being the masters of our own destiny. And, and there's a great level of autonomy that comes with not being held back by the constraints within being a publicly owned entity. Uh, and this independence fosters a sense of control and the ability to make decisions that are in the best interest for us, our business, and our clients. But most importantly, I think it gives us agility because one of the, that's probably the significant biggest advantage of private ownership is that we can move more quickly to take advantage of, of emerging trends or, or to pivot in response to market dyna dynamics uh, or to make acquisitions. And I think, again, there is another big advantage of where we are today is that private ownership provides us with the flexibility as well as the funding to make these important strategic or bolt-on acquisitions that we will need to make. <clears throat> and it's a crucial aspect of our growth strategy. You know, being able to identify opportunities and swiftly execute these acquisitions uh, gives us a massive competitive advantage in expanding our footprint and staying at the forefront of our industry. And, and all the investment we've made in our business around the infrastructure, the management team, the operating model, the, the, all the technology, the back end for driving our commodity information services, all of this is very scalable into other commodity markets, into new areas. And so being able to leverage that is one of the biggest levers of growth that we will have uh, within fast markets. That's great. Great. No, it's, it's great to see you guys in the, in the spotlight. And I guess it is, um, as you described, like just given the change of what's going on in the market, it does feel like that agility, that extra focus is, 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 is great timing, right? Probably not a coincidence that for this chapter that it's taken this form. Just to wrap things up, I always uh, like to invite guests to kind of throw the spotlight, share a individual company that's impressing you right now that you'd want other listeners to be paying attention to. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, I, there are so many. As I said, I, I spend a lot of time studying the wider space in terms of who is doing what well and what lessons we can learn from them. You know, certainly the company I find impressive, I'll, I'll pick one, which is a, which is a customer too, and, and uh, it's Tesla and their impact obviously on the automotive industry and more bro broadly on the landscape of transportation has been nothing short of revolutionary. You know, what stands out to me uh, when I look at that company, it's not just their role in pioneering electric vehicles, but really the holistic way that they've approached it. Uh, you know, Tesla wasn't just about creating a, new, creating a new kind of car. What they did was redefine the very concept of transportation. And they didn't stop at building electric cars. They created an ecosystem around it. 
And really, if you compare it, it's much like the iPhone transform, transformed communication. And Tesla turned the vehicle not into a car, but actually it's a software as a service product. And, uh, and if you look at their over-the-air updates, their continuous improvements, and the very idea that your car gets better over time through software updates is game-changing. And I think uh, their approach has forced the entire automotive industry, of course, to reconsider its strategies, that you're not building a car with software, you're building software with a car wrapped around it. And it's not just about electric vehicles, is it? It's about how technology can redefine an entire sector. And I think uh, Tesla's success is not only measured in the number of electric cars they've sold, but in how they've influenced the whole conversation around sustainable transport and how they've pushed the boundaries of what people thought were impossible, right? And, and, uh, and really contributed significantly to the whole energy transition space. And I really believe what they've done for transport is what iPhone did for communications. It's not just a product, it's about reimagining the industry and that innovative spirit, that focus on sustainability, that commitment to pushing the envelope to make them a standout example of how companies can really drive meaningful change in the world is a great model for me to use at Fast Markets because I believe what we offer is invaluable data, as data as a service, and that data, if we evolve rapidly, will be transformational. You know, we are, we are at the forefront of energy transition. We are today looking at how we price uh, low-carbon variants, the commodities that we serve, whether it's pulp or paper, whether it's steel or aluminum, and therefore encouraging investment in these areas to creating that transparency. I love it. I love it. Very inspiring. Your uh, car with software or software with car, it's one of those reframing moments that, uh, as you say, really really creates a step change in the, the, the mindset and the conversations around it. Um, and if we take, but you know, if we take that concept, and for me, AI is going to be a game changer when it comes to the way we serve product and serve information, right? We're not going to, people aren't going to come to your website or to your platform to look at data in a uh, very segmented way. They, they want answers to questions they have, and AI will drive that, and our data will embed that. So we have to evolve with the market. And I think the value of our data is we can serve it through anyone's platforms, but we can certainly create more value in our own platform on the data that we serve our customers with. Yeah, and the, the people get excited for, for you guys and the other people who provide some of that, the commentary and the words. I think for the last 15 years, all this rush and excitement about data has been about like the numbers, the quant stuff, the structured data that goes into the algorithm. And I think what gets me excited about this AI wave is suddenly that that bit about gossip that you said at the start 100 years ago, that commentary, like that's what powers these things now, the words and that intelligence. And I think that's probably going to unleash just a new wave of focus and that and, and, and raising in quality of that. Because I think today it's been very much centered around the, the structured data. And I think there should be a, a second coming for some of the unstructured data that's probably been overly commoditized over the last 20 years. And people haven't fully attributed the value they were getting from some of that. Being able to drive a um, huge amount of information from, uh, from that data pool that we sit on top of. You can have your own Disney moment when they uh, obviously launch the streaming on their back catalog. You can have your, uh, go, go get into that treasure trove of the last hundred years, Roger, and see, uh, Why you not? know, unlock, unlock it. We have every edition stored of every copy that was published by Metal Bulletin since 1913. We'll see if that can keep my three and five-year-old hooked for as many hours as uh, Disney Plus did. But um, 
Let me wrap things there, Raju, by thanking you for taking the time. I know you're incredibly busy at the moment on the road a lot, and uh, it's been great to be able to have you share your thoughts and perspectives, what you've gone through the last couple of decades. So thank you very much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. No, it's been great. Thank you. Thank you.